Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. Be sure to tune in to whatever Bethesda Church is doing on our website, BethesdaChurch.tv, or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Now, let's jump into today's message. Father's Day. Come on, give it up for all the dads. Amen. We honor you. Happy Father's Day. So glad that you're here this morning, Bethesda Church. Those that are watching online, we're honored that you've tuned in. Uh, Hope you guys are doing well. Everybody doing well? Yeah, yeah. Any dads going to eat real well today? I got to give it up to my family. They have fed me all weekend. I told them today, whatever y'all want, I'm good. Friday and Saturday, I have eaten. Anybody ever eat too much, or is that just me? I ate ate way too much. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. If you want to, you can turn on over to Matthew chapter 17. I'll get there in a few minutes. Um, But we have been in a series entitled Quenched. Um, Let me just ask, have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Have you enjoyed it? Um, it's been a series on the topic of revival, and the thing with revival is a lot of people say they want revival, but we do a lot of things um, as the people of God at times to quench what God wants to do. Um, and so that's why we've titled the series Quenched, and we've learned that there is a difference between wanting something from God and actually receiving that. Um, oftentimes we want something, but we're not receiving that. And so we, we've been talking about how to receive. And we started in week number one talking about the, the topic of start with me. That when it comes with revi- to revival, I don't pray that you'll experience it. How many of I got to experience it? it it's not God give, give um, my family revival or give my leaders revival, but I have to start with me. Hit somebody real quick and tell them it starts with you. It starts with you. And then last week, we talked about the importance of prayer. Um, there, there is no chance of revival without prayer. Um, we have to have a strong commitment to praying that while we pray, God is working. Today, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk to you about the fact that revival requires us to have new eyes. Everybody say new eyes. New eyes. And, and we get new eyes through uh, a biblical term called consecration, consecration. Um, and I had the opportunity this week to spend a few days with six other pastors out west in Colorado. I had never been there, uh, so I got to see the Rocky Mountains, but we also spent time talking vision, praying for one another, uh, opening up about struggles, all that kind of stuff that, that you do on a prayer retreat. Um, and it's amazing what a few days in the presence of God will do for your perspective, And I think that the church uh, at large needs a new perspective. We need new eyes. We need spiritual eyes so that we can see from the perspective that God sees. A lot of times the the reason we struggle is because we don't see what God sees. But how many know he can see the big picture? He can see all things. And one of the, the most common frustrations in believers is that they are not seeing what Um, They're not seeing the results from their faith. And so when we don't see the results of our faith, we're not able to see that uh, in our relationships, in our career, um, in in the battles that we face day to day. A lot of times if we don't see God moving, then we move on from our faith. 
We, we go somewhere else with it. We, we don't trust God like we should. Um, and here's, here's the crux of the entire problem, and I think we have it on the screen. I think too many, too many people want to see God move while they stay the same. So we, we run around talking about we just need a move of God, but we've done nothing to change. We want him to move while we stay the same. We want God to show up while we remain unchanged. And so we, we, we often think if God wants to do something, he will. But that's not necessarily true. God's movement is tied to my movement. God's movement is tied to your movement. In James 4 verse 8, it says, When you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and let your hearts be filled with God alone to make them pure and true to him. And then in Acts 3, it says, now change your mind and attitude to God and turn to him so that he can cleanse away your sins and send you wonderful times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord. In other words, God is saying, my movement is tied to your movement. If you will make a move towards me, I will make a move towards you. If you will make a move towards me, I will send refreshing to you. Anybody want God to send some refreshing in your direction? All right, I can't ask for refreshing to come while I stay the same. I've got to make a movement. In Joshua 3 verse 5, one more verse before we get to Matthew 17, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So, so Joshua, he basically tells the people here, he's like, I'm going to make you an offer. Consecrate yourself, and God will do mighty things, but stay the same, and you'll never see the mighty things. So there's a decision that has to be made. The average person, when it comes to a word like consecration, everybody say consecration. When we say that, hear that, somebody preaches on that, we're automatically, a lot of times in the church, we want to check out, we're bored, because we think that's a list. It's a list of everything I should do and a list of everything I shouldn't do. But consecration is so much more than a list. It's not about attending church with a perfect attendance record or giving, giving a certain amount of money or going on a missions trip or any of those things. Um, it's not even keeping the Ten Commandments or any other list. That's not what consecration is. The word consecrate means that I'm going to willingly set myself apart. And I'm setting myself apart so that I can continually offer to God my full devotion. And not only am I going to offer to God my full devotion, but I'm going to be willing, watch this, I'm going to be willing to remove anything that stands in the way of my relationship with God. That's consecration. And that's a decision you make. It's not a box you check. It's not a list you keep. It's about you setting yourself apart. Consecration is when I move toward God because I want to see him move in me. Does anybody want to see God move in you? You've got to make some steps toward him. It's, it's, it's tied together. Um, and, and it's also the reason so few uh, people see God do supernatural things in their life. Now look at Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. 
He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, Jesus shifts gears real quick. These guy, this guy comes, my son is having seizures, throwing himself into the fire. I, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. Here's Pastor Jesus. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Um, They're asking Jesus, why did we struggle, but you had results? We tried, we thought we knew how to do this, how to accomplish, we tried, we did not get the results, but you came and got the results, and Jesus, being the shy teacher that he is, did not take them into a back room to speak with them privately, but in front of everyone there, he says to them, very boldly, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up? How many, a lot of people would not want Pastor Jesus. Because I've said things a whole lot nicer than that, and people never came back. It's like, how long I got to put up with y'all? Like, how long? You're, you're unbelieving and you're perverted. Bring the boy to me. Some of the church folk would have left that day, would have never been back. But Jesus is showing us something here. There's two things he said. He said, number one, you're unbelieving, and, and secondly, you're perverted. Now, we, we have our idea of what we think unbelieving and perverted is, but in the original language, unbelieving here means that they were disconnected from God. Another way that we could, we could say it is they treated God as casual. That's what it means. They treat it. It doesn't mean that they're running in the opposite direction of Jesus. It just means that they're going through the motions. And how often are we going through the motions, checking another box, but our heart is not connected to Jesus? And Jesus is saying, if you want results, you cannot be casual. And I think what God is really looking for in the season that we're in, in the times that we live in, is is not a bunch of people that said, I made it to church, I checked my religious box for the week, I took my kids to Sunday school or kids church, or I did A, B, or C, but they're just going through the motions. Jesus is looking for some people that will come out of their apathy and have an appetite and a hunger for his presence and no longer treat it as casual or common. You can't have a casual faith and get uncommon results. It's not possible. He said, you're unbelieving, you're casual. Then he said, you're perverted. And we would read right over that thinking we know what Jesus is talking about. But it means that perverted here means you're too connected to the world. And and another definition here is that they had areas of compromise. Areas of compromise. 
See, revival's not for the casual, and it's not for the people who are filled with compromise in their lives. If we want to see results, then we have to come out of, of being of this casual Christianity, and if the Holy Spirit speaks to us about areas of compromise, we need to be quick to get it out of our lives, whatever that compromise is. Jesus is telling us that, res, that results are reserved not for those who are casual, but it's reserved for those who raise the standard of their faith. And he wasn't just saying it, he showed them. Because the first three words of Matthew 17, 14 says, when they came. If you read the, the whole chapter, you learn that the they there, when they came, it's talking about Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Because those four had separated themselves from the other nine disciples. And they had gone on to the top of the mountain and had an experience with their heavenly father. They were in the presence of God. So in essence, Jesus is saying to the nine who stayed a, a part of the crowd, he's saying, you guys stayed in the same place, you stayed with the crowd, and now you are spiritually stuck or stymied, but those who set themselves apart to go to a higher level, they saw the supernatural. A lot of times what separates people from seeing the supernatural versus those who don't see the supernatural is, is the willingness to go higher, to separate ourselves from the crowd, to separate ourselves from areas of compromise, not to get offended when our compromise is pointed out, but to, but to have a repentant heart when our compromise is pointed out. Listen, if God sends somebody in your direction to point out a compromise in your heart, that is his grace, that is his mercy in action because God has something higher for you, something better for you than staying with the crowd. And Jesus wants us to know, he wanted his disciples to know that there are a couple of things we need to see here. Number one is that we need to see our sin as costly. The amens are going to get real low. But we have to see sin as costly. Um, the IRS has a special fund set up called a cheater's account. And the idea is to provide a service to people who have cheated on their taxes, but then later they feel guilty. And so they can send money in anonymously. And the IRS, supposedly, they received a letter uh, that read, here's what the letter said, I have cheated on my taxes for years, and I feel so bad that I can't sleep at night. Enclosed, please find a money order for $10,000. P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send in the rest of what I owe. How many, that's hilarious. I don't care who you are. Um, but it's a perfect picture of how many people want to follow Jesus. They want to give up the minimum and get the maximum blessing. I want to give up as little as possible and still get the maximum blessing. I, I want to give up the least that I can and still receive 
supernatural power in my life. But it's not how it works. Jesus did not give his whole life so that you could give partial obedience. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're clapping, but it hurts, I know. He gave his whole life not for you to give some obedience. And one of the most dangerous, widely held beliefs is that sin isn't serious. That it's not serious. That because of grace that we we can now live by low standards without any consequences. And a lot of people believe that. I know it's popular um, in, in a lot of circles. And a lot of people believe that. But to a holy God, how we live actually matters. It actually matters. And I know that his grace covers any, listen, I'm not saying his grace don't, anybody thankful for God's grace in your life. I know he's been good to me, he's been good to you. But that doesn't mean that we set the bar as low as possible so that grace can bail us out of every situation. That's not what Jesus teaches. So he wants us to see that it's costly and you may ask, what does it cost? Well, number one, it'll cost you God's promises. Sin will cost you God's promises. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, that's a whole category of sexual sin. Idolatry and sorcery, that's spiritual sin. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. Look at that list that I just read. Those are all relational sins. It's how you sin against people, all right? And then he goes into the list of out-of-control sin, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit. This is so pivotal for us to understand. The kingdom of God is not just heaven. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God, not just in heaven, but it's his rule in the earth. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that the kingdom is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who delivers all of God's promises. And he's saying, if you live a life that continually embraces compromise, then you end up with a legal problem. It's a legal problem. You're like, no, it's spiritual. No, it's a legal problem. He says you will not inherit the kingdom. The word inherit is a legal term. If someone near and dear to you passes away and leaves you an inheritance, I don't have a right legally to your inheritance, but you do. It's your inheritance. And what God is trying to teach us with this is that God cannot legally give blessing to a life of disobedience. It's not that God God can't or, or God won't. It's God can't. 
He legally cannot bless you if you have compromise in your life. It's his word. He can't violate his word, which means you may be missing out on some big blessings because you got areas of compromise and disobedience and God legally can't bring you the blessing or the promise that he wants to bring into your life. So it's not about God offending you by calling it out. It's about God setting you up so you can handle the blessing. So he wants us to know we're going to forfeit promises. Secondly, sin will cost you God's purpose. You'll lose God's purpose with sin. Imagine if Karen came home one evening and I had cleaned the entire house. Like, I mean, really cleaned it. Not like sweep it under the rug, but like really got the dirt up. And wiped everything down and mopped everything and cleaned the toilets and did the whole nine and the kids were gone because I had arranged for child care and sent them away with the grandparents. Um, and I bring her into the dining area to sit down and with that I've got the silver dinnerware, I've got the fine china, I've got crystal glasses and, and I've got all this prepared. I've even got on a tux. But about the moment, I'm not wearing a tux, but Maybe a suit. Um, but the moment she sits down, she gets really confused because I got all this out, I got all of this prepared, and on the fine china on the plate is a hot pocket. <laughs> now, first of all, let me say, this is for illustration purposes only. I would not do that. But she would be confused because the contents do not match the container. Fine china is for special use. Hot pockets need to be tied up with paper plates, right? <laughs> Second Timothy, I'm going somewhere with this. Chapter two, in a wealthy home, there are dishes made of gold and of silver, as well as some made from wood and clay. The expensive dishes are used for guests and the cheap ones are used in the kitchen or to put garbage in. If you stay away from sin, you will be like one of these dishes made of purest gold, the very best in the house, so that Christ himself can use you for his highest purposes. His highest. So you were created by the same hands that fashioned the universe. You bear the image of God his, his breath is in your lungs. You were purchased by the spilled blood of Jesus, and you also have the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead, which means that you are not common and you are not called to live like everyone else is living. That means that if you want a fine China marriage, you got to give up dating paper plate people. That if you want fine china calling, you got to stop settling for paper plate character. That if you want fine china success, you got to give up paper plate standards. Why? You've been set apart for special use and you got to start living like it. Come on, go ahead and give him a praise if you believe that today. There's a fine china calling on your life. But a lot of us are treating it like it's a paper plate. Jesus wants us to see that sin will cost us his promises. It will cost us 
his purpose in our life. And I think the third thing he would want us to see is that sin costs uh, God's son his life. Today, people believe that they can live any way they want to live, and it only affects them. And that could not be further from the truth. Because the truth is, hear my heart, my sin killed Jesus. My sin. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. You say, no, 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 the Romans did it. No, it was your sin that put him there. It was my sin that put him there, which means sin is costly. And according to God's law, sin carries the death penalty. In a turnaround that is still hard for me to really fathom, sin was paid for by an innocent man. Because when Jesus was laid on the physical cross, at the same time, God laid the spiritual consequences of sin on him. It's why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Knowing Jesus and knowing how much he loves us and the price that he paid, I echo the sentiment of Charles Spurgeon who said this, I cannot trifle with sin for it killed my best friend. But many of us, we can't see the cost of our sin. We don't, we don't really get our mind around what it costs God, what it costs Jesus as, as we sinned, as we miss the mark. So, so we have to see our sin as costly. And secondly, and I only came with two points today. Secondly, we have to see Jesus more clearly. And if you need to see Jesus more clearly, I believe that you showed up in the right place. I believe that you've tuned in to the right place. Because if you need to see Jesus more clearly and maybe you need God's word, listen, we believe the entire Bible, as I've said before, from Genesis all the way to the maps, we will give you the word of God. We will give you a Bible reading plan if that's what you need. You may say, I need the people of God. I need a church family. We got small groups that will be kicking off in, in, in a couple of months that you can get connected to. You may say, oh, I need purpose. I can't find purpose. Next steps is next week. We will, we will help you discover your purpose and get you placed on a team. We can do all of that for you, but here's what I want you to know. We can get all the doing right but it's the heart behind the doing that counts. It's the heart behind the doing. And a lot of times we're doing a lot of religious activity, but our heart is so far from where it needs to be. See, we, 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 we got to get past, I, I did this, I did my duty, I served, I got the kids there, you know, I checked the box, I prayed this week, all that kind of stuff. And we got to make sure that our heart is in the right place because watch it, if your heart's not in the right place, you can do all the religious activity and still not see Jesus. And this whole message is about you and I seeing Jesus clearly with new eyes in Paris, you guys know the most famous painting at the most famous museum, the Mona Lisa, painted in 1503 by Leonardo da Vinci. That painting is worth $850 million. Nearly 10 million people come through that museum every year, and what they do is that most tourists will walk up to the painting, 
snap a selfie, and then move on. The reality is, is that 10 million people uh, give Mona Lisa, that's worth $850 million, they give it a passing glance, but very few people take the time to see it for the masterpiece that it is. I wonder how much of our doing is giving God a passing glance instead of truly seeing the majesty of who he is. See, I love when we sing, but sometimes it would do all of us better to sit in all-filled silence. When is the last time that you appreciated the one who made the autumn leaves and the snow-capped mountains and the ocean waves? When is the last time you considered that Jesus is still the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the keeper of creation, the architect of the universe, and the manager of it all, that he always was, always is, and will always be, that according to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, that when the Lamb, Jesus, broke open the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half hour. That scripture has confused scholars for years. 30 minutes in heaven of complete silence when Jesus breaks open the seal. I I believe that part of it is because it's our reaction to seeing his supernatural beauty. I think to truly see God for who he is, I don't think we have the vocabulary I don't think we can articulate how awesome and how amazing he is. I believe that if we saw God in all of his glory, we would all be left speechless. When when is the last time you considered some of those things about God? I love large church services. I like when this building's packed from wall to wall. I love the the hands raised, the voices lifted. I love all of that. But when is the last time that you celebrated the small things God has given you? When was the last time you thanked God for a baby smile or for a great meal or for the touch of your spouse? When is the last time you celebrated that God has left you a personal promise that he would never leave you nor forsake you, that he would be with you until the end. I know you got a mortgage and I know you got a job and I know your kids are acting crazy, but if you could somehow push time out on all of that and realize that the God of the universe has already promised you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you till the end. You have something to be thankful for. I love that he's so personal, but sometimes when fear comes into our heart and we feel like giving up, it does me better to focus my attention on his unmatched power. When was the last time you paused to remember that he stopped a tropical storm in its tracks, that he changed the molecular structure of water into wine, that he hardwired a blind man's brain by repairing the optic nerve and visual cortex, When is the last time that you thought about the fact that he defied gravity by walking on the water and the law of physics by walking through walls? That he still, Jesus still reads minds, opens deaf ears, unlocks mute mouths, he reestablishes lame legs, he raises people from the dead, and he healed one of our teenagers of blindness this week. Y'all just missed that. Y'all went right. Y'all are just listening, but you missed that. I ain't talking about just the Bible. I'm talking about sitting. Where is Peyton Johnson? Wave at me, Peyton. Wave at me. Right there's a miracle in this room. I think you ought to give God a praise 
that God healed his eye this week. We're going to capture that testimony and we're going to share it the right way. No, do better than that. Give God a praise for that. that I'm telling you, you got to have gratitude when God does a miracle if you're going to expect more miracles. Go ahead and stand. I'm going to quit. Without God, watch this, reading the Bible, singing the songs, attending church, all of those things without him become religious exercises. It's only when we see him for who he is. I've prayed for you this week that God would give you fresh eyes, that he would give you new eyes, that you would be able to see God for who he is, the Lamb of God, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the light of the world. And watch this, our soon coming King. He is all of those things. But, but don't miss this, it's the last part. You don't need You don't need something new to do. You just need a better view of him. You don't need something new to do. You just need a better view of him. More than 100 years ago, a British revivalist issued a timeless challenge. And he said this, he said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to God. The original hearer of that message was a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. And he thought to himself, he said a man. He didn't say a great man, a learned man, a rich man, a wise man, or an eloquent man. He just said a man. And the realization in that moment is that we don't have to be anything. We simply have to reveal more of what is already on the inside of us. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Which means that God does not want a transactional relationship with you and I. He wants a transformational relationship with you and I. That's what he's looking for. Reinhard Bonnke, and I'll end with this. Reinhard Bonnke put his stamp on the continent of Africa. He would hold crusades and preach, and you guys got a picture of this. A million people would come hear the man preach. Outside, as far as your eyes could see, was a sea of people. And God gave him that continent. He saw millions come to Christ, millions healed. But before he ever got to that level and had that kind of notoriety and his name was known all over the world, he was like many, many of us. He was a student in Germany and he was trying to solidify his faith and he was pressing in to know Jesus on a very real level. And there was this one particular day that as a student, he walked into a pharmacy, he picked up a few items and he brought the items over and he laid them on the counter. And when he did, the the young attendant, a girl, she jumped back. Reinhard Bonnke thought that he had just startled her, that she didn't know he was in in the room and, and that he possibly scared her. And then she started crying, and now he's like apologizing. I am so sorry. Uh, And he's apologizing all over himself. But then the girl, with tears streaming down her face, she said to him, she said, it's your eyes. 
And it confused him because he thought, what's wrong with my eyes? And he asked her, what do you mean by that? And she said this to him as he was a student in Germany. She said, I see Jesus in your eyes. I am lost and I need him to save me. And what Reinhard Bonnke did not know is that she grew up in the church and had drifted and followed and chased a life of sin that had brought all kinds of pain to her and her family. But she said, when I looked into his eyes, I saw the Lord Jesus who lived in him and I saw his arms outstretched because I had thought that he would never welcome me back into his kingdom. And what we get from this is when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, people will find Jesus in your eyes. They'll find Jesus in your eyes. When people look at you, what do they see? Do they see doubt? Do they see depression? Do they see frustration? Do they see cynicism? Do they see criticism? What is it that they see? Because at the end of the day, when they look into our eyes, God let them see Jesus on the inside of us. Anybody feel that today? Let them see and feel Jesus. I've ended each week with a prayer and I want to end this with a prayer as well. And I want you to pray with me, but I don't want you to do this half-heartedly or going through the motions. I want you to make this a prayer from your heart, from your heart to God's heart. So I want them to throw it up on the screen and we'll pray together. Perfect. On the count of three, let's, let's pray this. You may, want to, you may want to put your hands in the air as we do this. Make it heartfelt. One, two, three, let's pray. Heavenly Father, my heart has been stirred for more of you. Apply your word to my heart and fill me with your spirit. Lord, draw me closer to you. Today, I ask you to see you with fresh eyes. You possess all power, all authority, and nothing exists outside of you. May I live every day in awe of your greatness and glory. Lord, draw me closer to you. Today, I turn my eyes from anything that displeases you. Give me the power to live in your grace and by your standards. May I live every day loving what you love and hating what you hate. Lord, draw me closer to you. Today, I fully commit my life to you. I'm holding nothing back and fixing my eyes on you. May everyone that sees me only see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe that today? Do you want that today? Let them see you. Let them see you. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for just a moment. I wanna speak to the person that's watching online and maybe the person in-house today and you would say, Pastor, I'm not in right relationship with Jesus, but I don't wanna leave in that condition. I wanna, I wanna give my life to Christ. If that is you today, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but if that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me, Pastor. I wanna make Jesus my Lord and my Savior today. I need my sins forgiven. Anyone at all that you would say, that's me today. And those that are watching online, we would love to pray with you as well. I'm gonna wait just a minute for those in-house Say, I need Jesus to save me. I need him to forgive me. If that's you, would you just shoot that hand up? I'm gonna wait just another moment. Just another moment. Here's what I wanna do. I want the, the prayer team and the staff to come forward to get ready 
as we open up these altars for a time of prayer. And listen, as I did last week, these altars are open. We cannot have revival without an altar. And so you may need prayer for a miracle. We got someone that'll pray with you, prayer for healing. We'll pray for you. But you may want to just come and spend some time yourself in the presence of God. So as we get ready to sing, I want you to know this altar is open. Utilize it. Spend some time in the presence of God. I promise you, you can leave here with a different perspective. Before we sing this last song, give Jesus the highest praise you have all day. That ain't a high praise. Come on. Give him a high praise today. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv slash give. We'll catch you on the next episode, and we hope you have a great day.